Hi, ho, ho, and welcome to, I guess, Boy Time Mini. I'm not sure what, what exactly I'm going to call this, but uh, I'm going to be trying something a little bit new this week, born out of necessity more than anything. I'm the only one here, just me, Jerry, uh, doing the podcast by myself today. Uh, you know, everyone else was either busy or... Uh, their internet was down, so we could take a week off, um, but, you know, I figured, hey, I do want to talk about these African movies that I saw, and I suppose, if we want to get more specific, they're both Senegalese, which I did not know going in, but... Uh, they both are made in Senegal. I think, in fact, both of them are, uh, they at least take place in the same city of Dakar, which is Senegal's capital. Uh, but both of those movies are, uh, Black Girl and Tukibuki. Um, I would say two pretty well-known African movies, uh, both produced around the same time. I think Black Girl is late 60s and Tukibuki is early 70s. Um, and I, I want to say they kind of have similar themes, but it is kind of difficult uh, to uh, ascertain what Tukibuki is kind of about. And we'll get into why that is when we get to it. But I think we'll start off with Black Girl just because that one... Uh, has a more straightforward narrative, and it's easier to kind of pick apart all of the details um, and all of the interesting things that Black Girl does. Um, I, I'm going to be pretty straightforward. I really, really liked Black Girl. I thought it was a really, really well done movie, um, especially since uh, this is the first uh, dive into African cinema that I have done. Um, I think I have seen, I think it's Z, um, which I think is Algerian. Um, but that one's like all sorts of confusing cause it's like Algerian, but there's like a French production company and it takes place in Greece. So it isn't like totally about like what it's like in Algeria or anything. It's mostly like kind of a biopic about, um, political corruption in Greece. Um, but black girl and Tukibuki both take place in Senegal. They have themes of post-colonialism, uh, or at least the legacy of colonialism. Uh, and you know, that was, uh, specifically to Senegal, that would be French, um, colonialization, um, which, uh, I mean, if we want to get into that, I suppose we can, um, won't have to go super in depth about it, but I think, um, you know, it being a post-colonial nation after kind of World War II, uh, you got all of these European nations in the fifties and sixties kind of realizing, Oh, maybe this whole imperialism thing. Um, maybe it's not as fashionable as it used to be. We'll do it in a different way um, because there was a lot of independent movements 
um, or independence movements arising in a lot of um, colonized nations all over the world. So you see a lot of um, nations gaining their independence around this time. But uh, the Europeans, I guess, had one last trick up their sleeves. Um, and I'm not sure if this is specifically to Senegal. I don't know specifically their history. But generally what would happen is that the European nations would basically acquiesce and be like, okay, fine, you guys want your independence so bad, I guess you can have it, but we're basically going to gut your infrastructure. We're going to take away all of the kind of systems of governance that we have put in place, and we're going to take those with us. And so basically these you know, indigenous people were given this nation and land to rule over, but were not given the means to do so. So that's why there's a lot of like civil war, a lot of civil unrest, a lot of violence takes place after the European nations pull out. And so, of course, then the European nations can flip that and be like, oh, look how backwards these either African or South Asian or, or whatever, um, how backwards these people are. It was so much better under our rule. So, you know, let's give, let's give them a bone. We'll send them humanitarian aid and, and we'll set up all sorts of different indus industrial, uh, you know, branches and stuff out there. You know, they'll have their, their iron mines in, in Australia or, or in Africa, you know, they have their own stuff there and they can basically get away with that. It's, it's imperialism without imperialism in a way. Um, and so this is kind of the place where these movies take place. It is right. I think black girl, I think it was released, I think five years after Senegal had gained its independence. So it's very, very fresh. Um, now I think, um, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I really should have done a whole deep dive on Senegalese history since both of these movies take place in Senegal. But, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to say like the French weren't the worst. I, well, I think that's pretty easy to say that the French weren't the worst imperial power, um, that came out of Europe. I mean, like Belgium existed, um, and, and that was, that was just pure evil and like is the scars of that can still be felt today, uh, both literally and metaphorically. Um, but you know, I think, I think the French were more sneaky about it. Um, I know more about Algeria just because I did do some digging about that when, uh, we talked about Z. I don't remember when that was probably about six months ago now maybe longer. I think it may, it may have been a year ago. Um, but so that's where it takes place. Um, won't really get into history stuff pretty much. Um, but the story of black girl is pretty simple. Um, or I guess as simple as something like this can be. Um, there's a lot of, 
Um, I think it captures a lot of the ideas that um, Senegalese people were feeling around this time um, about how both white people and more specifically the French um, are kind of like distinct and upper upper class. And this does come up in, in Tuki Buki too, where um, the main character in Black Girl is, um, ooh, I don't remember her name, but she is hired as the nanny to a white family in Dakar in Senegal. And she is um, basically invited by that white family to come back with them to Paris because they are going to be moving back there and they like her so much that, you know, they'll uh, take her with them. And, you know, she obviously jumps at that opportunity. Um, she um, lives in kind of a, um, a slum or lower uh, income area um, in Dakar. Um, and so, you know, she is kind of lured in by the promises of like, oh, well, you know, we'll be able to walk the streets in Paris and like on your days off, we'll, we'll, I'll take you down and we'll, we'll go shopping and you'll buy such beautiful dresses and like, it'll just be like a fantastic time. And when she gets there, it turns out that she was not the nanny, but basically she was, I guess, just the entire like help as it were, where like she was the cook and the nanny and the maid and like she doesn't really know how to cook and like she knows how to clean, but like that's not what she signed up for. And so like over the course of the movie, she becomes more and more disillusioned with this, with the promises that this white family had promised her basically. And she just becomes more and more isolated and more shut off. She basically kind of has like a nervous breakdown at the end. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's kind of just the general plot of, of black girl. It's a short movie. I think it's 60 minutes. So, you know, in and out before, you know, you realize it. Um, but the way that this movie, um, kind of captures that feeling of, of isolation, um, which, you know, is not, I don't, I want to say it's like not a unique thing, but it's also like, I don't know. It's going to, I really maybe, eh, I need to think about this some more. It, it's a movie that like kind of demands a lot of thought, um, because it is so dense for being an hour long. It, it has a lot of emotion in it and it has a lot of, I guess, historical context, which I don't entirely know, but I mean, I know the general history. Um, but I think one of the more like powerful motifs in this movie is there's this mask. Um, and this is like, you know, not unique at all. Like everybody who talks about this movie brings up the mask because I mean, it is the most pointed 
I guess, criticism of, I guess, white attitudes towards, um, I want to say Senegalese culture, but also I think it can be broadened out to African culture at large. And there are things in the movie that kind of do that too, because basically, um, when the, the maid, I guess I'll call her, gets hired, uh, to this white family, she brings like this traditional African mask that, um, she buys off of one of the street boys that, um, was walking around her neighborhood and she brings it to them. And it's obviously very important to her. It's, it's a, it's a marker of her culture and she is gifting it to this family as thanks for, um, providing her, I guess, a job and means to maybe get out of that low income area. Um, and what does that white family do? Well, they just put it on the wall. Like it is, it doesn't really mean anything to them. It's just a cool art piece to have on the wall. It's a decoration and it doesn't seem to mean the same things to them that it means to her. And that is kind of representational of how like white people view, um, you know, or at least this family, the, the family that is depicted here views her because like they bring her to France and, you know, it's like, okay, well, we'll be able to go shopping and we'll, we'll have all these great times and, you know, you'll be able to see the sights, you'll be able to see the great, uh, the great French countryside, all this stuff. And, uh, they just bring her there and she's basically just kind of like decoration for the friends. There are friends that come over and they make her cook rice and they're like, yeah, everybody in Senegal just eats rice. And she says, before I even, before I came here, I never even had rice. Um, and like now they're making me cook it with like this, this spice that I'm not familiar with. And then, you know, the, the, European friends are like, wow, this is really spicy. And then the, the family's like, oh yeah, you know, all they eat is spicy rice. Like that's, that's the culture down there. Um, and it's just like, well, okay, that's not true. It's an overgeneralization. Um, which is actually something I had to look up because I was like, it's kind of interesting how rice is, it's in like South American cuisine, it's in African cuisine, and it's in Asian cuisine. And I'm like, did it start in like Asia and then just got like traded? Because like it feels like, well, no, Africa would be the oldest civilization, but it feels like, you know, China would be the one to like domesticate it and then spread it out through like the Silk Road or whatever. But it turns out, it was independently domesticated in all three of those places, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's like one of the only crops to have been independently domesticated in three different continents, which is kind of cool and interesting. Well, at least to me. I don't know if it is to anyone else. 
Um, but yeah, so that mask is obviously representational of the, the white family's views of her and I guess African culture at large, where it is like, oh, well, it is an African mask and this is African cuisine. And it's like, that's not really the case, you know, uh, at least in Senegal, you know? Um, so yeah, I just thought that was really, really well done. And towards the end, while she's having her like mental breakdown, she like basically takes the mask off the wall and she's like, it is mine. You can't have it. And like the wife of the family like tries to take it from her and like they, they kind of fight over it and she eventually takes it. But wow. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'm just thinking about it now. It's, it's like, it's bringing up all sorts of emotions. It's, it's such a, an emotionally dense movie. Um, it, it really has kind of like a humanist perspective to it. And, and this is coming from a white guy. Um, um, but it's just like, I don't want to be like, I have to be really careful about what I say here because I don't want to be just like another white guy talking about like black art and how like, wow, it really moved me. It changed all my opinions. But like, I mean, it really just kind of like reinforced, you know, like, the, I guess, the legacy of colonialism and how at least this filmmaker felt about it. Um, so if you can find a copy of it, I I have um, the Criterion copy because uh, there was a sale and I, I knew about this movie and I really wanted to um, watch it because I had never seen, well, uh, unless you count, of course, who killed Captain Alex, the probably the best action movie ever made from Uganda. Um, but I had never seen, like, I'll get, I guess, a professionally made African movie. So that one was the first one I saw, and then I, I saw Tuki Buki, which um, made me deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable um, because it did the Apocalypse Now thing and killed two animals and, um, just filmed it. <laughs> and I understand why, like I get the point of those scenes, but it made it very, very uncomfortable. And I did not know that those were coming. So I did want to say that in the beginning of this review, just like, Hey, if you have, um, I'm not going to be talking about those scenes in depth, but I like, I want to put out a warning where it's like, Hey, if you maybe listen to this review and you want to check out this movie, just like know that that's coming because it completely took me off guard. Like the first scene in the movie is, um, like a bunch of cow herders bringing in a herd of cattle to like a slaughterhouse and then they take one of the cows into the slaughterhouse and they like tie it down and then they, you know, slit the throat and there's like blood spurting everywhere and it's all real. <laughs> and it's like, Oh no, I don't want to see that. Like, yuck. Um, 
and there's like close ups and stuff like it is really gross. Um, but you know, that is, that is the kind of the catalyst for the story of, of this movie, which is, um, it's going to be very easy to describe because not a lot happens. It, and that's kind of the weird thing. Cause this is kind of like a surrealist, I'm not going to say experimental, but definitely leaning that direction. Um, which I was not expecting at all. I knew next to nothing about this movie besides the title. Um, I, and then I had seen the picture of the motorcycle that is on the cover of this movie. There is, it's a motorcycle with like a cow's skull on the front, um, with like the horns pointed up. It's a very, it's a cool design. I like it. Um, but yeah, it is the, uh, I guess the story of this is there are, uh, two people. It's like a young couple, um, and they want to escape to France because they also grew up in a kind of a low income slum of Senegal in Dakar and they want to escape to France to make it big. They have these idealistic, um, I guess, impressions of what France is like, where it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what, like, when we get there, like, there's a scene where the the girl was like, well, what, what, what are we going to do when we get there? How are we going to make money? And the guy's like, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just get lucky. Um, kind of like, well, yeah, you know, France, land of prosperity, which, you know, it's kind of funny as an American guy where it's like you hear that about America. I don't I don't hear that about France a lot, but um, I guess to Senegal being a post-colonial uh, French colony, that makes sense. Um, and so they basically are just like, yeah, we'll make it big. Um, they basically do some scams, steal some money, um, and... I guess the big climax of the movie is that um, the woman makes it on the boat to France, but the man does not. So that is that is all that pretty much happens in the hour and a half that this movie takes place, if you're looking at it literally. Um, but you could basically say the same about like any David Lynch movie um, and be like, yeah, Razorhead, it's about a dude and his girlfriend raising a weird baby and that's all that happens. But like, you know, obviously there's so much more that happens in that movie, um, than just the literal plot description. Um, but I guess we'll talk a little bit about like, I've seen, I was looking up some stuff about this and I had seen it described as animal cruelty. I don't, completely agree with that description just because it's not, I mean, it's animal cruelty to like people who are like vegan or whatever, but like, this is just like, and I'm assuming that everybody talking about this is not vegan. And it's just like, ah, I don't like seeing cows get their throat slit and it's like, well, that's just how that's made. Like that's how it's done. And maybe that's coming from someone who, uh, you know, I'm from Iowa 
I was I was not a farmer, but like I have known a lot of people who are farmers, and I know that it it just kind of becomes a thing you do, um, where it's like I would never want to do that, and look and seeing it done on screen is obviously very disturbing to me. Um, someone who has never killed a giant beast like that, but to the people who run the slaughterhouse, um, it, that's just, that's life. That's what you do. Um, which, you know, still doesn't make it any better for me because I don't like seeing it because it's really, it's, it's pretty disturbing because, you know, there's like, they bring this cow in and just the floor is covered with blood and there's just like dead cow carcasses. And then, um, you know, they, they tie the cow down. You can just like tell it's scared and you know, they just, they slit the throat. It's very like unceremonious. Um, which, you know, I brought up apocalypse now earlier, which is also a movie that kills a cow on screen. Um, but if I remember right, and I'm not totally up to date on my apocalypse now trivia, I've only seen it once. And I think I may have seen like the extended version, which I've heard people say is actually the worst version. Like it's very unnecessary what Coppola adds. Um, so maybe I'll rewatch it and just watch the regular one because I did not really like it the first time. So I think that probably has something to do with it. Um, and yeah, I think what happens is, is that Coppola was shooting with, I believe, an actual indigenous group in Vietnam. And they were, it was either they were actually going to kill this uh, cow and it was either going to be for some ceremony or it was just going to be slaughtered. And so then they just filmed it. I think that's what happened. Like it's, it was just like, Hey, this cow is going to be killed for something anyways. And then Coppola's like, okay, let's just shoot it. And so they filmed it and it's in the movie and I don't like seeing it there either <laughs> because and I mean, actually, the one in Apocalypse Now is worse because they're just like hacking at it with like machetes. Um, at least in in this one, in Tukibuki, it's very cut and dry and they just like go straight for the throat. They know exactly where to cut to kill it. Um, but like it's still it's still really hard to watch and and there's another scene later in this movie where a goat gets killed and very similarly they kind of hold the goat down and slit its throat but it's also like that's that's what you do if if you're going to eat goat then that's what you're going to have to do um but yeah it's it's just kind of hard to watch especially because I thought I avoided it. <laughs> like I saw that it was going to happen. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like look away for a second. Cause I don't want to watch it again. I don't need to see another animal bleed out in front of my eyes. Um, but then they like interspersed that footage, like 
while the the guy in the relationship is getting like beat up by some local ruffians it like intersperses like him getting beat up with the goat that he kills i think i actually don't know if it was him because i looked away but i'm assuming it was him um and so i couldn't really avoid it and i'm like ah stop showing i don't want to see this like stop um but so I was a little bit worried because both of those probably happened on like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And I'm like, man, is it, is it all going to be like this? Like, do I need to like bunker down and prepare for watching animals die through the whole movie? Like, is that what this is going to be? And that's really it. Um, it's uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real rough way to start a movie, especially for someone. Um, I'm, here's the thing. Cause I'm not usually like, um, kind of like weak stomach or whatever. Like I can take gore and stuff in movies because it's all fake. Like there's that disconnect for me where it's like, Oh, well I can watch like a dude get exploded and like, that's not going to bother me because it's fake. It's like CGI or they just like filled up a dummy with meat and dynamite and just set it off, you know? Um, so like, that's fine. Cause it's, you know, I, I, but watching it like really happen, that was kind of rough. Uh, and I didn't like it in apocalypse now either. Um, so yeah, I was like, Oh man, this is, I, I was, I was seriously debating like turning it off. So like as, as, like I paused it and I looked it up and it looked like it was only those two scenes. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll bunker down and watch the rest. So I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. It's, it's a really good movie, but it's also, I don't, I don't know if I like totally liked it, but like, this is a genre that is not my cup of tea just in general. Like I brought up David Lynch earlier. David Lynch is the type of, filmmaker that I would love to love. You know, I love the guy. He's such a weird dude. Um, and I love like everything, like those weather updates and every interview I've seen with him. He's just so weird. And I love that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm just not a fan of his movies. I think like I've seen Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive, the straight story, um, firewalk with me and then twin peaks, all three seasons. And I think that my favorite stuff of his is the twin peaks stuff. I think firewalk with me is fantastic. Um, but like I was not a fan of Eraserhead at all. Not really a fan of Mulholland drive at all. I was kind of, I was okay on the straight story just because that was, not, I mean, it was a David Lynch movie, but it was not like what you think of a David Lynch movie. Um, so I am not really a fan of like weirdo surrealist kind of artsy movies. And this movie is very much that. So, um, yeah, so it was like that alongside the kind of cultural disconnect. I mean, it was in a, it was in French. So, you know, I don't, don't speak that language. Um, there's also like a lot of, I'm assuming like 
stuff that is specific to Senegalese culture um, in it, um, which I obviously don't know. I am not Senegalese, um, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, there was just like a lot of those kind of disconnects with it. Um, but it's a very, very well done movie. I'm glad that the work had been done to preserve it because it's kind of my understanding that this one and black girl were almost like kind of lost. Um, it took some like serious film preservation work in I think the nineties and two thousands to kind of bring them back. I think black girl specifically like criterion release of it, like started with like, a bunch of like a big forward about like all of the work that went into preserving it because like it won like some awards when it came out, but like it was like it won in like the black arts festival because like when that movie came out, like, you know, it was just, it's, it's obviously very, very different to how the kind of film landscape is today. Um, obviously, you know, like, John Dealman, this the the feminist movie would not even be considered like for being like one of the best movies of all time, according to that sight and sound poll that came out last year. Was it last yeah, it was last year. Um so yeah, just very, very different. It won like some awards and like kind of smaller festivals, and then it kind of was forgotten. So I think Tukibuki kind of the same deal. Um, I will say that Tukibuki, I also have the criterion release of this one. The um, it, it looks worse than the Black Girl one. I don't know if, I don't know. There just might be some stuff that's, the quality is just lost because of how it was stored. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this isn't, a dig at it at all, but it's like, it's in four, three and it's kind of grainy, um, which, you know, could be due to like how the, the, like what, what cameras they had available, stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So I don't know. There's just a lot of kind of like disconnects with it. This might be one where I revisit it and like, I don't know, a couple years or, or even longer where it's like, wow, this is something really special. Um, right now I can recognize it as a really, really well done movie. I think the coolest part for me was seeing all of the, like, I mean, like historic downtown Dakar, like is, it's a beautiful town. Like, um, and even like when they were going through like the lower income places, and this is also something that black girl does too, where, like, I love how, like, scrappy it is where I don't want to say it. Well, maybe. But, like, you can tell that, like, they, like, sp film crowds. And, like, you can tell they aren't, act like, extras or anything. Like, they just, like, sat the camera down and filmed a crowd. And, like, people are, like, looking at the camera. And, like, <laughs> some people are, like, ignoring it. But, like, even the people who are ignoring it, like, glance at the camera and they're like, eh, whatever, and they just get on with their day. But there's just, like, people straight up 
just kind of staring at the camera being like, okay, what's, what's going on? Um, which I love, like, I, I, that's what I love about, and I'm like unironically a really, really big fan of who killed Captain Alex. Like, like beyond it being like a ha ha movie to watch with your friends. Like it is genuinely a really, really impressive achievement in like filmmaking. And I love, I have like such deep admiration and respect for the walk Hollywood people, which kind of, it sounds funny based on like what they make, but like, you know, you read about like what conditions they have to like film. And this is today, this isn't 60 years ago where like, um, Isaac Mbwana, I believe is how you pronounce the last name there. Um, you know, he is like this director in Wakaliga, um, Uganda, which is a slum of the capital, which is Kampala. Um, and you know, he basically just like gets the town together and they make these movies and, you know, he has like this hand-me-down computer that he had to like make out of like scrap from all of these other computers and he like only has enough hard drive space for one movie. So he edits his movie on this computer and then he like exports it out to a DVD and then has to delete everything, which is like such a shame, which is why Who Killed Captain Alex, like, um, you know, the only version we have is one that has a, a VJ on it, which is something very specific to, um, I don't know if it's specific to Uganda. It might be something more generally in Central Africa. But um, for those who don't know, a VJ is, stands for Video Joker, which is basically, I don't know if it's like a radio personality. He kind of sounds like it, the guy who's on it. But, you know, you would like, you buy your DVDs from these like VJ stores, which sounds gross <laughs> saying it. Um, it sounds like something else. But, you know, you, you would get your DVDs and then there would be like a commentary track over the movie that you bought which is, like, the guy who was running the store just, like, you know, in his house recording lines and just, like, making jokes through the movie. Um, and so Who Killed Captain Alex, the only copy of it available is the one that has the VJ on it because that was the one copy they could find. Um, so it's <laughs> it's kind of... So you think about those conditions and obviously they're, they're, it's really scrappy there too, because it's like, we're, we're not actors. We're just people who live in this, in this slum in, in Kampala, Uganda, and we're all just gonna get together and make it like a, a fun action movie together. And it's, it's so much fun. Like, and the action in it is it's like not realistic, but it's just so fun. It's like infectious how like 
how much fun they were having bleeds through the screen and it just like you start feeling how much fun they were having and it's like man this is like <laughs> it's just so much fun it's it's hard to describe it any other way um like seriously if you've not seen who killed captain alex it's free on youtube you know maybe get some people together and watch it like it is it is one of the surefire hits of like, um, if you have like fun movie nights, which, which, uh, our friend group does. So that one is one is, is fantastic. And it's one of the rare ones that we show in those types of movie nights. That's like, this is just, it's like so pure, you know, like a lot of like, schlocky B movies or have like the, just the worst intentions. And like, we were kind of getting into this and in like the horror marathon that we just finished up where like Friday the 13th, like it started out and it was just like, okay, let's just do Halloween, but we'll have nudity in it because that's what, that's what'll get teenagers in the theater. And it's just, there's just like such a like gross and rotten feel to some of these B movies made around that time. And it's like, yeah, they're fun. Like they can, they can be funny, but like you can tell there's just like that little cynic edge to it where it's like, there's some, you know, they're trying to get on this trend or they're trying to do that. And like who killed captain Alex is its own thing. And it's just a bunch of people getting together to make a movie together. And it is so much, it's so much fun. So that one's great. Sorry to go on a little rant about that in this, um, black girl and Tukey Bukey discussion, but you know, honestly, I don't have much to say about Tukey Bukey, um, because it didn't really do a whole lot for me. And I will be honest, uh, completely honest that, these last couple of days have been like so brutal at work. And like I sat down to watch that movie today and it was totally the wrong atmosphere. And, you know, we have that sometimes where it's like, and that's partially my fault where it's like, I want to have like a couple movies per week to talk about because I think that, you know, it fills up enough time, obviously like, I'm going to be able to put out like a little mini podcast of just this. Um, but it's also like my work as like, I work, I'm a mailman. It's so like, it's, it's so fluid, like how much I'm going to have in a day where it's like yesterday I worked 12 hours and then today I worked six. So I'm like completely exhausted and I sat down earlier today to watch this and I'm, I'm still really tired. So, you know, definitely not the right headspace, but also even if I was in the right headspace, I don't think this is really my type of movie. So I say that like, I'm, I'm probably going to rate this on Letterboxd pretty low because I tend to rate things on Letterboxd based on personal enjoyment. But I do want to say, and at least put it out in some capacity, that like this movie is very, very good. It's just that I didn't like it, which I think is a very interesting like concept where 
Like, I feel like a lot of people will equate how good a movie is to how much they liked it. And certainly I have fallen into that um, trap myself. But I think with this one, it's it's in a unique position where I I recognize how really fantastic it is under the circumstances that they were in. And to make something that I, I described to a David Lynch movie which, you know, is its own breed. It's very impressive, the things that he's able to pull off too, but I don't really like those either. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those movies where it's like, I think if you're going to like, if you're trying to get into movies like seriously, like you're wanting to be like, I don't want to say like a cinephile or anything. There like so many of these like terms for film fans are so have like negative connotations. Like cinephiles too artsy or whatever. Film bro don't like them either. Um but if you're like if you're trying to take, you know, film more seriously as like an art form and you know, you're trying to expand your um your horizons a little bit of like what where you're um taking your movies from because like i feel like as an american i obviously get most of my movies from like big american studios or even smaller american studios um because that's what plays here um but i think I think I'm going to really try to make an effort uh, next year, especially of, you know, trying to get some movies from uh, Latin America. There's a lot there, like blind spots. I know there's a lot of Mexican filmmakers right now making all sorts of interesting things, which I have seen, I think, next to nothing. I think I saw half of Roma a couple years ago. But, uh, you know, didn't finish it. So, yeah, really, I think the only Mexican filmmaker I am somewhat familiar with is Guillermo del Toro. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. He makes, like, big Hollywood movies these days, which is not a bad thing because I like all of them. But, like, there's a lot of, like, you know, kind of under-the-radar Mexican filmmakers that I feel like I need to see. And also there's a lot of, um, I guess, Asian uh, films that I'm not, like, super familiar with. Obviously, I've seen a lot of, like, Korean uh, and Japanese and Indian movies, but, like, uh, Iran has a very big, or I don't know, I don't know about very big, but they do have a sizable film presence and I have not seen any of their stuff. I have also heard that their stuff can be a little bit out there, which as I have stated, it's maybe not my thing, but I do want to try. So, you know, next year or maybe even the end of this year, I don't know. I don't have any sort of schedule for what these next weeks are going to be. I'm going to try to keep it that way. Even though I loved doing this Halloween marathon, it was so much fun. I loved watching all these horror movies. Um, I'm going to try to, you know, go back to a little bit of unscheduled stuff. I don't like holding myself 
then well, I like, you know, having a schedule and doing that. But also I want to be able to be free for a little bit to watch what I want to watch. And I do have some ideas for like triple feature stuff coming up. So if I get to a place where I have time, which I might not, because as I said, mailman getting into the Christmas rush. So, you know, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas is going to be very hectic for me. I might have to cut back to like one movie a week, um, which, you know, might not be so bad. You know, maybe I'll do something a little more like ambitious uh, and like pick something that really needs to I'll do like a deep dive on. So that might be fun. We'll see what that's going to hold. But I think that'll do it for this boy time mini. I don't think uh done one of these in a while. I think the last time I did a solo podcast was when I watched Doctor Strange 2, which I think was technically this year. I think. Wasn't it like February? I don't know who I'm asking. Usually I have Bebby here to answer my questions, but not today. But yeah, so next week I do have, you know, we're going to talk about, I was going to talk about Spider-Man 2. I'm not going to do that in this mini one. I'll save it for next week. Um, we also are probably going to talk about SAG-AFTRA. That strike is finally over. So all of the major strikes in Hollywood are officially over, uh, which is great. I'm glad everybody's getting their, their, uh, what they wanted. Sounds like there's some AI protections, which I know is the big sticking point for these unions, um, which is good. Um, obviously, you know our stances on all of that if you've listened to the main podcast. Um and I don't know if we're going to talk about the Game Awards. We'll probably talk about the Grammys, even though I don't know who really cares about the Grammys. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. It's it's award season. You know, it's going to be great. Um, well, I don't know about great, but it will be something. But I think that'll do it for this little boy time mini. Um, you know, if you like this stuff... If you like these solo podcasts, you know, maybe let me know. I can see. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to do these solo just because it is a little weird talking to nobody. But I guess a podcast is always kind of that. But, eh, whatever. Um, uh, bye.